Good morning. It's Greg Cohen, and welcome back to a new episode of Conversations with Cohen. As you uh, listeners know, this season is all about uh, the things that keep managing partners and law firm leadership up at night. And top of that list is uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And as you know, I'm, I'm bringing on subject matter experts who can who, who can help us as we try to solve these problems. So uh, this morning, I'd like to welcome Dr. Fritz Gallet of Loeb Leadership. And uh, as we like to always start on this podcast, uh, Fritz, if you'd be so kind to introduce yourself to us. Hi, well, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. You know, you, you know from talking to me socially, I love to talk about this stuff and, and spread information that will help. Um, I, by training, I'm a psychologist who, by working in Midtown Manhattan, met lots of people in the legal field. And over the years, I got a chance to really understood stand what makes them tick and the pain points and the stressors that they deal with. And so um, I got into doing coaching and consulting and, and even doing some seminar work to teach people about what can be done to improve various kinds of situations in the firms that they work in. So with that as the uh, introduction and, uh, and our subject today of, uh, of diversity and inclusion, um, maybe you can offer some insight as to uh, how your clients and how law firms are, uh, are, are attacking this problem. Okay. Yeah, I could I'd probably go back 15 years. I think the typical call would be a request to have me go in and do probably a short workshop on various topics in this area. Um, and they would, would be around helping define and help people understand um, what um, or some of the issues that they need to be aware of, let's say in recruitment and in holding on to um, a diverse population. And it'd be one and done type of approaches where we'd go in, we'd do the work, we'd get out, and then we'd hope they'd hire us or have us come back. Nowadays, with all the things that are happening in the world, people are actually coming in asking for more of an in-depth approach. They're coming in asking us to really help them work with the culture of their firms and their organizations to try and improve not only um, a knowledge base, but also help improve the culture and change things so that five and 10 years down the line, we actually have a better hold on this problem. So, so how, do you, how do you do that? How, where do you start? As, as with anything, the best way is first, when someone's giving me the call, I try to actually meet them where they're at. Um, learn about what the pain points are. You mentioned at the outset that a lot of people are having trouble going to sleep or they, this keeps them up at night, that they want to make a change, but they're not sure how. And so we try to explore, and I work with a team of people around this. We try to explore what's going on within the particular firm, what's going on with the particular person that's reaching out, what do they need? Because if we come up with some kind of solution without doing a proper assessment, um, that solution may not be a, a, a one that fits. We don't have a one-size-fits-all approach to it. We have one where um, we tailor our approach to helping the individual that's making the call with the firm and understand that culture and then find out what's been done and then see if we can take them to the next level. There's something I struggle with, which is the the optics of diversity and then a culture of diversity. I think they're very different. Very different. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine at the core, um, you have 
large organizations, even small organizations that that have a way they've done and the way they've worked for many years. So, so how do you, you know, I can imagine it's like turning a, a tanker in the ocean doesn't happen overnight. Uh, uh, right. There's a process to it. How do you help law firms move from, uh, from just doing it from ticking boxes to, to a place where um, people can speak freely? One of the first questions you ask is, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be? Why, do you, why are you making this call now? What, what part of the equation are you trying to address? If we don't get some vision around where people want to be, then again, if we come up with a solution, um, it may not get them where they want to be. So be specific. Um, I remember an organization um, gave me a call and I'm talking to them and I said to them, I'm all happy to come in and help and I'm going to do that and it's going to be great. But ask yourself, why didn't you make this call two years ago when the problem still existed? Why didn't you make the problem five years ago? And I did challenge them to reflect upon the timing and the timing within the past year or so has been because there's been a lot of pressure in the public culture around doing something about these issues that have existed. And they admitted that, you know, they didn't make the call then, but they want to make it now. So we worked together to find a very organic, but a very sustainable reason for continuing to do this work, not just because it's in the news, but because we want to make a change. And then we got into, okay, let's understand the culture of your organization and what you've done, what things you've put in place, what things you see are missing. And get, getting as higher level leadership into this conversation uh, is and is, continues to be a way that we're helping organizations turn that ship around. It's not a short-term thing. There are some who say this may take years, some who say they may take five, 10 years, it may take a generation, but that the work is we do it day in and day out, meeting people where they are, understanding their pain points, trying to develop a vision, a shared vision around what they would like to achieve in the future. And, and taking it from there and involving as many stakeholders in the organization as we can. Um, now, historically, the approach to diversity and inclusion first started with, well, let's try to change the optics. I'm glad you mentioned that. The optics. Let's hire around trying to change visually what you see. And a lot of organizations were successful in actually increasing the amount of visual uh, optics diversity. But they weren't doing too good a job at the inclusion part the highest level leadership, and I think that's still very much a problem today, the highest level leadership in many organizations, if not most, is still a very small you know, um, group of people in terms of diversity. And so now people are trying to move toward that end. And again, like I've said before, this is going to take a while, but just getting people into that dialogue is, is the way to go. So um, I, I'd imagine... If I'm law firm leadership, I want to hear from uh, the people who make up the firm. Mm -hmm. But if I'm someone who is an underling or not at the top, um, I might be scared to share my... uh, Absolutely. Right? So so how how do you bridge that gap? How, how How do you create an environment where people feel comfortable... Um, to, to share how they really feel. 
it it goes back to what's the comfort level and the culture of people sharing. So every Monday, people will say to one another, how was your weekend? And most of us are going to say, good, fine. You know, we're not going to get much into it. And then there are other people that might get into it. Well, what is the comfort level of conversation? I often say it starts with small things. If I'm a managing partner in a company, of course, the people at all rungs, especially the lower rungs, are not necessarily going to feel that comfortable being very open and honest with me. But if every day I'm working toward creating that rapport with those around me, and then maybe even teach the people who supervise the people who supervise the people about that. Maybe I'm starting to create a culture where when somebody asks that question and they feel comfortable to say, actually, my weekend wasn't that great. And if anybody's listening, do you feel comfortable saying that to your manager or your supervisor? If you're a manager, do the people that you supervise, do they feel comfortable actually telling you when things are not so great? giving a more in-depth answer instead of just fine. I remember an employee once telling me that they're often hearing, they're in the office culture, but they're often hearing about this person's weekend in the Hamptons, that person's weekend in the Berkshires, and both places they'd never gone to and didn't really have much familiarity with. And then when they were asked about how their weekend was, they didn't feel comfortable actually saying, you know, saying anything about it because they didn't feel it came up to snuff with, where everyone else was going. Um, we have to work, and I often say it does start with the little things, paying attention to that small talk that we think is insignificant and see whether we have a understanding of the diverse and lived experiences of those around us. That's a lot of work in the beginning, but it's well work well worth doing. And I guess also another uh, hard thing to... Uh to do is to create it, to do it in such a way that it doesn't feel forced. Yes. And usually it's forced. That's, I'm really glad you said that. It feels forced when all of a sudden, because of some initiative, because of some edict that's been written or said that we're all going to sudden start doing it. Um, the time to try and build this rapport isn't in the middle of a problem you're trying to address. It's, it's totally before that. And so if you haven't done it, it's sort of like what I do with my kids. I try to make um, nine out of 10 interactions with them as positive as I can make them, even when there's a smoking gun thing I need to address with one of them. Because if I make all of my interactions with them negative, they're not going to feel safe to open up and tell me why they're not completing an assignment or why they did what they did. Very similarly, the, often the only time that a lot of the powers that be are interacting with people is when there's a problem. But if we can, as leaders, if we can make our interactions a bit more common and a bit more frequent, and we are trying to build that culture, doing it one by one, you know, even if a company has thousands of employees, one by one, our interactions with one another are key. And, and I guess it, um, as you were speaking, I was thinking about a, uh, a pebble rolling downhill, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, there's no wrong time to start. Um, and while it may feel forced at first, um, it, it's got to start at some point and presumably mm -hmm. it will feed upon itself. That's right. And it will build, it'll build momentum. 
So the action is really just taking that, taking that first step. Now, many, but I imagine some people might say, well, but, but how? And that's often where I come in because the how could be embodied. And um, I do workshops on how can I create an inclusive environment? And we go over some specific things, some of which I've already mentioned. It starts mm-hmm. with the small things. It starts with the day-to-day interactions. It starts with creating a safe space. How do you create a safe space? A safe space is not created because I said so. A safe space is one we build upon. Even, um, you know, whenever I'm trying to have a conversation like this on a forum like this, I try to have conversations with a person around the material so that we get comfortable with each other so that when the lights come on, we can have as comfortable and as safe a conversation as we can while being as informative as we can. It's always a process. It's always, and here's a word that's a really important, it's, it's in the relationship. If you look back into the last year or two years, um, for those people who are, are listening and, and watching today, could you share some of uh, some experiences that you've had with uh, with law firm leadership um, that could help maybe make other people who are listening feel like they're you know it's not just them um, you know or, or just examples that might help uh, trigger the conversation of oh we we've encountered that or um, and here's where we are now after after uh, where you've seen some success. Um. I think what sticks out or, or, or um, when I've been able to engage higher level management in genuine and open dialogue about their experience and their struggles, I don't mean personal, but I mean on the macro level or the things that, that keep them up at night. And I'm able to get them to share some of those narratives with the people who they work with and maybe even during town halls to share some of those real human experiences um, it's had a great effect, especially if as they're, we're working with them, we're having them share and model and demonstrate this honest, genuine leadership. It then helps. It then really is more powerful than when I go in and I'm working with maybe the people below them and the middle management and the messages that they have set forth, I'm able to then echo as your CEO or as your managing partner said in that town hall, yes, I was there. I can listen to it. That has been really powerful. Contrast that with 20 years ago when I would go in and I would work with people at the lower rungs of an organization. I could do all the good work and present some of the research and give them some of the tips, but then they would come up against the ceiling of people above them who didn't have that experience or where the messaging of the organization wasn't actually the same as what we were healthily coming up with where we were, that didn't work so much. And that's why we don't usually try to engage in checkbox approaches to things. We try to work with organizations that want their leaders to be included in the process, the training process. And then we want their leaders to be included in in a training process that teaches them to be inclusive and transformational leaders. It works. It's actually in the long run, it's way cheaper to do it that way than it would be to do 100 workshops at, at the, the bottom rungs of an organization. But to actually start with uh, the managing partners, that's why I'm often trying to speak directly to them, that if we can get you guys in the room and we can help you 
sleep better at night and figure this stuff out, you'll be able to lead the ship and turn that ship around. And then, and, uh, I'm quite optimistic because in the, the past two years, I've seen an uptick, a huge uptick in that, uh, that approach, the desire for that approach, the stomach for it. Um, people have looked at what has happened in, in the world and in the country and, and said, you know, it's time for a change. And a lot of leaders are also trying to have legacy where they're really trying to make a change that sticks. This is the kind of change that sticks. Um, I can go on and on. I mean, I love well, talking about this stuff. Well, um, I think this was a great, uh, a great introduction to, uh, to you and, uh, and to Loeb leadership. Um, and I think there are going to be lots more conversations like this. I look forward to, uh, to, to continuing it with, uh, with you and your team. Um, this has been uh, Conversations with Cohen, uh, with Dr. Fritz Gallet of Loeb Leadership. And uh, thanks so much for listening. And, um, and I'll make sure to put all of Fritz's contact details in the show notes so that uh, you folks listening can, uh, can find a way to find, find him. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.